John chapter 6. If you remember uh, the feeding of 5,000 men plus women and children, the only miracle mentioned in all four Gospels before the resurrection, such an impression on the disciples and so forth. And at the end of that day, the people come, they want to make Jesus king. Um, crowds were headed to Jerusalem. Uh, they believed Messiah would feed them when he came, uh, like Moses, like the manna falling out of the sky. And Jesus, knowing the danger of that, sends his disciples away in a boat. The crowd's watching. They leave. And then, because only one boat had come, they tried to get away from the crowds. Then he disperses the crowds and they see him go up into the mountain to pray. And then this is the scene that evolves following that, which gives, you know, opportunity for the Lord to give us the bread of life discourse. So in verse 22, it says the day following, this is the feeding of the 5,000, the storm on the lake, Jesus walking across the water and so forth. The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except the one whereunto the disciples had, were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone, albeit there came other boats from Tiberias, nigh unto the place where they did eat bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, they took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. So the, the scene the next day, probably a lot of people had gone home. Some stayed. And the next day they came looking for Jesus. They had seen him go up into a mountain. They saw the disciples go away alone in a boat. <clears throat> no doubt they were hoping for breakfast or the next free meal or something. <clears throat> and they're seeking him and he's nowhere to be found. In the meantime, boats come from the other side of the lake, from the city of Tiberias, over to the east side of the lake. And uh, they had heard about the feeding of the 5,000 men, plus women and children. So as they come, the crowds are saying, he's not here. We, we, we know what happened. We saw his disciples leave. There was only one boat. We can't find him anywhere. So someone says, well, let's go to Capernaum. That's where his, kind of his headquarters are. So it says, then some of them took shipping. They entered into the boats from Tiberias, and they come then to Capernaum seeking him. So when we encounter Christ there first, it's these crowds of people. By verse 59, it seems to move into the synagogue for the discourse to be brought to a close. But it says here, they came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. Verse 25 says, and when they had found him on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? They, they say, isn't it interesting? They didn't say how. They said when. You know, how did you get here? When did, you, when, when did this happen? When, you know, you, you, did you leave at night and walk all the way around the sea? You know, how? And, the, and the interesting thing is we look at it. You and I look at it. We know. 
But the world that we live in, men of this world and women of this world are still trying to figure out the movements of the Lord. They still don't see or understand how he moves. They don't see his hand in history. They don't see his hand in prophecy. They don't see how he's moving in the world today. They don't understand the incarnation. They don't understand the crucifixion. They don't understand the resurrection. They don't understand our blessed hope that he's returning. They don't understand when he moves today. You know, so many of us here, we're reading the scripture and something will rise off the page. Maybe when we have a broken heart and it will just be alive to us or we'll be somewhere praying and we just sense he's speaking to us. And men that are unsaved and women, people of this, this world, still don't understand the moving of the Lord. When did you get here? How did you do this? They still don't understand. And yet we are in this kind of conundrum where we're excited about Jesus and we find it difficult sometimes to share with other people what he's been doing in our lives and how he's moved us and how he's told us to do this or that. They found him and they said, Rabbi, it's the first question through this series, when camest thou here? Now, what Jesus does is he changes subject. He doesn't answer their question. They asked a question about him. He gave an answer about them. He doesn't answer the question that they ask. So when, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them, the people now. And he said, verily, verily. And we have two of these verily, verilys through our section today, um, which adds extra emphasis of verity, of truth. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you for him have the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, Well, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. Then uh, they said therefore unto him, Well, what sign showest thou then uh, that we might believe on thee? What doest, what, um, what doest thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, then evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So this interesting sequence begins to take place. They're asking him how he got there, when he got there. He said, look, you're not asking that question, Jesus says, verily, verily. 
he, he says, you're not asking because you seek me. He, he said, it isn't because you saw, and that word is interesting, you didn't perceive the miracles. There was no perception. The reason you're after me is because you did eat of the loaves and you were filled. So he, he says to them, look, you, you didn't perceive the miracle that took place in your midst wasn't just a miracle, it was a sign. And I think that's the word actually used in the Greek. And that means it speaks, it says something. You didn't perceive, you didn't understand. And he said, and the reason that you're seeking me is not because you understood the miracle, it's because your bellies are full. It's because you ate and were filled. Now look, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The scripture tells us that in Hebrews 13, verse eight that Jesus Christ doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he still perceives our motives. He still knows when we ask one thing and we actually mean something else. And by the way, that's good for us because either through his word speaking to us or him coming and sitting by his Holy Spirit speaking to us, so often he'll say to me, no, you didn't mean that. What you meant was this, you know, or no, this needs to go, Joe. You know, he, he speaks to me honestly. There's a verity, verily, verily. There's truth to it. And he still knows our motives better than we do. And he never changes. And he says to this crowd, you're not, you're not seeking me because you understood, you perceived the miracle. You're seeking me, he says, because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not <clears throat> for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath the Father sealed. He's the one whom the Father, to put a seal on something that day was ownership, a stamp of approval, uh, a security, you secured something. He says, the son is the one whom the father has sealed. So he says, look, labor not, it's an imperative there. You must not labor for that which perisheth, meat that perishes. ETH tells us, is a present tense, you must not labor for food, meat that is in the process of perishing, but for that meat, food, which is in the process of enduring to everlasting life. And through the chapter, about six or seven times, it mentions everlasting life, eternal life. So he challenges them. Look, he understands. There's no confusion here. Life is labor intensive. <clears throat> That's just it. You know, he told Adam, you're going to tend the garden. You know, thorns and thistles, you're going to have to work in the sweat of your brow. You're going to do this. Life is labor intensive. You know, people who sit around, they want a free phone. They want free medical. They want free education. They want free. They want, want, want. They would rather get free than be free. But to be free is labor intensive. To sustain yourself, to sustain your community, to sustain your nation. You know, and it is labor intensive, life. He doesn't say don't work for a living. He's saying labor for that which is eternal. He doesn't say don't work for a living because Paul said those who don't work shouldn't eat. Thessalonians. 
If you don't work, you shouldn't eat. Somebody else shouldn't have to feed you. If you're not willing to work, you shouldn't eat. It's not wrong to be hungry. I'm glad, aren't you? Physical hunger is to be satisfied. Tells us in Mark chapter 6, verse 34, that when Jesus saw the multitudes, the 5,000 men plus women and children, that he had compassion on them. And he fed them. He fed them physically. He's not saying it's wrong to be hungry. He's not, he's not saying don't work. He's, because he's saying what you give your life for. You have to stop laboring for things that are perishing. John says the present world passeth away in, in his first epistle. Literally, this present world is in the process of passing away. Have you noticed that on the news? The present world is in the process of passing away. And here he says, don't labor for that which is in the process of perishing, but give yourself to that which endureth, which in the process of enduring all the way to eternal life. <clears throat> because people have all kinds of hungers, and they labor for all kinds of things that won't last. <clears throat> that can be obviously for food. We have the cooking channel. We have Iron Chef. We have all this stuff no generation ever had. So we sit home and, and watch this and say there's nothing in the refrigerator because we just saw all these guys do this, you know. You know, we, we, we want to satisfy. But we want to, then there's pornography to satisfy something else. Then there's substance to satisfy something else. Then there's alcohol to satisfy something else or power or revenge or money. The idea is we can hunger after all kinds of temporary things in this world that are in the process of passing away. Some of them are not wrong. It isn't wrong to work. It isn't wrong to eat. It's not wrong to get married, to enjoy a family. It's not wrong to prosper. It's not wrong to invest. He's saying, but don't give your life totally to, it, to pursuing those things which are temporary. When it's all over and you're in hospice and you're laying on your deathbed, what do you got? That's when you take inventory. Because the rest of it is pass, passing away. It's perishing. The only thing that matters then is that food that endureth unto life everlasting. That's the only thing that matters at that point in time. And then he tells us that that is given to us. He said, he said, which the Son of Man shall give, that's not laboring, shall give unto you. Because he's the one who has the authority to do that. The Father sealed him. Now they're Jews, so they only hear labor the works of the law. They're under the law of Moses. They don't hear give. They don't understand that in the context. And, and of course, that is what he's saying to them. So he, he says here in verse 28, they answer and they say the next question. Then they said unto him, what? They asked when. Now they say, what shall we do? That's the mindset they're in that we might work the works, plural, of God. Jesus corrects that with a singular. Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work, singular, of God, and it's this, 
that you believe on him whom he has sent. He said the word labor stuck in their minds. They didn't hear the word give. You can't labor for eternal life. It's not given to us of reward or our performance. It's a gift. So he ends that phrase with give. They think, well, then how do we work the works of God? And he says, this is the work of God. Now, it's called a genitive there. It's, it's this is the work that God performs, not this is the work that God requires. It's an interesting structure. This is the work that God performs. That you believe on him whom he has sent. You're never going to do that without God working your life. He's going to tell us further in John's gospel. No man comes. No woman comes. No child comes. Unless my father in heaven draws them. So he's here he says this is the work. This is what God does. This is the work of God. That you believe on him whom he has sent. And, and, you know, people don't want that level of simplicity, or they consider it naivety. They're saying, how do we work? He's saying, you don't, you believe. It's a gift. Well, you mean to tell me that I can't get into heaven by the works I perform and by the, the stellar character that I have. Is that what you're saying? I can't get into heaven because of the things I've done and because of my character. Oh, you can. You can get into heaven by the works you performed and by the character you have. The problem is the works you perform and the character you have has to be as perfect and as holy and as good as God. And if it ain't, you're in trouble. Then you better receive it as a gift instead of trying to work for it. But for so many, and people you and I know, that it's almost offensive. You don't, you don't deserve it. You never will. You can't earn it. You're not worthy of it. You can receive it. As a gift, because Jesus, the one who gives, he's the one whom the Father has sealed. They're thinking work. How do we work the works of God? This is the work singular. There's only one work that God requires, that God looks at us, that he performs. Both sides are there. This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. And then they said unto him, Another question, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe? What dost thou work? What sign are you showing that we should believe you? I mean, besides turning water in the wine, besides walking on the sea of Galilee, besides rebuking the wind and the sea, besides raising depers, uh, raising uh, the dead and cleansing lepers, but besides feeding 5,000 people with two loaves and three fish, besides, besides all that stuff, what work do you show us? Now look, to the Jews, this, this was something they did look to because they had a heritage and a history of miracles. The, the Jews believed in creation, miracle. The Jews believed in the flood of Noah, miraculous. The Jews 
believed in the parting of the Red Sea. The Jews believed in, you know, the, the coming into the promised land and the Jordan River parting. The Jews believed in manna falling from heaven all of those years. The Jews believed in David and Goliath, the miracle of that. The Jews believed the sun and the moon stood still in the valley of Agilon and so forth. In, in, in Samson. And then they, they had a heritage of the miraculous. They put heavy emphasis on it. Paul tells us, who's a Pharisee of the Pharisees of the tribe of Benjamin, he tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that the Jews seek after a sign. And they're doing it right here. Well, if our work is to believe on the one who, who the Father sent, that he sent you, they, they said, therefore, under him, well, then what sign then do you show that we may see and believe? What dost thou work? Now listen what they say. Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. Now they're going to quote the word of God to the word of God. As it is written, and he probably thinking, I know what's written. I wrote it. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. What sign are you going to show us? Look, our fathers ate manna. You know, I was okay, big deal. You fed 5,000 men and women and children in one day. Our father, I mean, our leader, Moses, what he did was he fed several million people for 40 years. You, you got this little thing cooking here. 5,000 men and women and children in one day. But our fathers ate manna that fell from heaven under Moses for 40 years. What are you going to show us? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, here it is truth again. This is verity. You have to take hold of this. I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. If Moses was there in the scene, he'd have said, Amen. Because he would if they said, Moses gave us bread from heaven, he'd have said, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do it. God did that. I didn't do that. I didn't part the Red Sea. I didn't do any of the other stuff either. They're saying, well, Moses gave us this bread from heaven. Jesus said, no, he didn't. Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father. Moses was a vehicle. He was a man. But bread fell out of the sky because God was feeding his people, not Moses. Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father giveth right now is presently giving you the true bread from Ek out of heaven. Right now in front of you, the father is giving you the true bread out of heaven. And it, and it speaks of preexistence because he's going to say for the bread of God is he which cometh. Coming is related to the he. he, he Jesus saying, I'm not just bread that fell out of the sky. I'm living bread that came of my own volition and am still coming here this morning to us of his own volition. It's a present tense. He said, Moses didn't give you that, but my father, which is in heaven, he fed you. He fed you. But manna perishes. And he told them, you can't collect 
you know, more manna than you need because it'll rot and breed worms. And every wife was happy to have wormy manna in their tent, you know. He, he, he said, you can't do that. Manna rots. Manna is perishable. But he said, this bread that my father gives, it endures forever. There's no expiration date. My wife is always looking for expiration dates. I have to scrape them off before she finds them. <laughs> Honey, this is on here just to sell more. It doesn't mean it's bad, you know. She'll say, well, let me spin the freezer too long. I said, Honey, the scientists, they eat woolly mammoths that they dig out of the glacier that are 5,000. We ain't eating 5,000-year-old meat, you know. This is this bread. There's no expiration date. There is the bread that is in perishes in the process of perishing. And then there's the bread that the Father gives that comes down from heaven, that gives eternal life. There's no perishing, no expiration date. You know, we should be sensitive to those things. We're wearing out. You know, again, this frame I'm I'm in. In my heart, I'm 22 years old because that's when I got saved. This doesn't cooperate anymore. You know, when I hear snap, crackle, and pop in the morning, it's not Rice Krispies, you know. It's, it's, it's getting this out of bed. Right? Sometimes I start to stumble, and my brain knows what to do, but my body's not cooperating anymore. It's perishing until the resurrection. The world around us has become threadbare wearing out. Look, one of the things that I hope as I watch the insanity, if you don't know what I'm talking about, watch the news, just the world around us unraveling, I'm thinking, Lord, let that create an atmosphere of darkness so the light becomes more apparent. Let this disintegrating world create a hunger for that which perisheth not. Let the world, Lord Jesus, be looking to you and your glory and your forgiveness. Let them see the love that we have one for another, that all men would know that we're his disciples. Let there be reality in a place that they didn't expect to find it, but so desperately need it. Lord, do it one more time before you come. Let there be a Jesus movement, a great ingathering. Because the world is unraveling. That's what it says. Jesus is saying, look, this world... It's, par- it's in the process of perishing right now. But there is bread from heaven that endureth unto everlasting life. You think of him looking at the multitudes here, looking at the people that are gathering, looking at us this morning. And in his heart, the same yesterday, today, and forever, looking at the world we're living in, thinking there are just those You know, narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find it. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, he said, and many there be that go thereon. He hasn't changed. You think him looking at the world today in his own heart, I'm the bread of life. The life I give endureth to life everlasting. I'm watching you. And you can get even Christians hungering after all of the wrong things. Giving your heart and your labor. You see, whatever you give most of your time and your finances and your desires to, that's your God. Whether you like it or not, that's your God. And he's saying here, men and women in this world, 
can be so fixated on success. Succeeding is not wrong, but it can't be the only thing you feed on because it passes away. Prosperity, revenge, sex, drugs, you know, just people can, can be fixated and laboring their whole lives for so many things that when you're taking that last breath, none of that is there. The only thing that matters then is the living bread, Jesus, and the life that he gave you that endureth to life everlasting. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is he, masculine, which cometh down, there's a present tense there, which is coming down from heaven and giving life unto the world. Not to Israel, this blew their mind. He's giving life to the whole world. The only thing that's giving life to the world today is Jesus Christ. Look, the work of God is to believe on him whom he has sent. The work of God is not fasting, nothing wrong with that. The work of God is not you know, chanting certain things. Uh, the work of God is not mass. Or without the mass, you're lost. The work of God is none of these things. The work of God is to believe on the one whom he has sent. That's your solid ground, Jesus Christ, your rock. That's where you stand. And there's a simplicity to us as children. Jesus said, unless you receive the, the kingdom as a little child, you'll never enter in because you got nothing to contribute. All of your intellect, all of your success, all of that, none of that buys eternal life. Be prosperous, be blessed, work hard, bless your family, bless your children, bless the poor. That's all important. But don't be thinking I'm working my way into heaven. It'll never happen. He says, for the bread of God is he, which is today in our sanctuary, coming down from heaven and giving life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. It's like the woman at the well, Lord, evermore give me this water. I don't have to come here and draw, any, you know, draw anymore. And they said, Lord, give us this bread then. And Jesus says this to them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. John brings us to the first of eight statements through his gospel where you have the ego am I here, I am. What the bush said to Moses, I am that I am. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He's gonna say, I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine, eight times through John's gospel. He's affirming his deity relative to a circumstance. And here he says, I am the bread of life. It's a, it's a, it's a remarkable, those few words, uh, sequence of, of grammar because I am is emphatic in the language. What that means is I am. Nobody else is. In counter distinction to everybody else, I am what nobody else is. It's emphatic, me, I am. And then he doesn't say, I am bread of life, because if all he said was, I am bread of life, then there might be bread somewhere else too. 
I am bread of life. You should come to me because bread of life is good. He doesn't say that. He said, I am, I myself, distinct from all others, am the definite article. I am the bread of life. There's only one bread of life, and there's only one person who is that bread of life, and that's me, he says. Nobody else, not Buddha, not Hare Krishna, no one else. Me. I am distinct from all others, and I am the bread of life. And he that cometh to me shall never, and we have never down again, it's the oime in the language, it's a double negative. He that cometh to me shall never, ever hunger. And he that believeth is believing, in the process of believing on me, shall never, ever thirst. So he that's in the process of coming, he that cometh, are we coming even as believers? We're constantly coming to him afresh. He says, that person shall never, ever hunger. And he that believeth, who's in the process of believing on me, shall never, ever thirst. Look, the interesting thing about what he's putting forth here is he identifies this singular responsibility. You see, you can understand bread. In my family, I've got gluten-free people and celiac people. I understand, I'm more about bread than I want to know about bread. Uh, but I understand what bread's made of. Now I know what gluten is. I never knew that before. You know, and I understand the nutritional value of bread. You know, I, I know from the scripture how God created to bring nourishment from the ground, you know, giving us bread that, to survive bread and water all through history. Um, I, I can understand the chemical analysis, the nutrients that are there. But all of that knowledge doesn't do me any good. I can sit next to a loaf of bread and look at it and analyze it and know everything about it and die of hunger. That bread only does me any good at all as if I partake. And I have to do it. I can't say to my wife, honey, I am starving. And she says to me, oh, I'll take care of it. Let me eat some bread for you. <laughs> right? She can't partake of the bread for me. I can't partake for her. Parents can't partake for their kids. Their kids have to be born again themselves. Kids can't partake for their parents this boils it down to an individual decision. Jesus said, he's the bread of life, and you have to partake of that. Forget about Calvary Chapel. Forget about pastors and priests, denominations. It's only about Jesus. It is only about Jesus. He alone is the bread of life. If you've not come to Christ, you can do that today. Forget about coming to church. I mean, you come to church because you've already come to Jesus. That's the good thing about coming to church. But coming to church ain't saving anybody. Sleeping in the garage don't make you a car. (laughs) Sleeping here don't make you a Christian. You have to come to Christ yourself. That's the way we want it, too. I know we, we, down in our hearts, we don't, want anybody, we don't want anything phony. You have to come and you have to partake. Nobody can do that for you. He offers himself the bread of life. 
And the sustenance from that is everlasting life. You have to make that decision. So we'll pray. If you've never come to Christ, I'm going to ask you, this is your decision. Nobody else's. You can, you can refuse that and refuse it because there's all the stuff in the world you want. And I don't think you're right. I think, you know, in my life I can have this and I'm prospering. I can have this and I can have that. Yeah, I understand. You're right. But it's a different kingdom. In the kingdom we're talking about, there's only one means of sustenance. And that's Jesus. Different kingdoms. If today you want to make that decision, you come at the end of the service and we sing the last song, get out of your seats, come and stand right here. We want to pray with you, give you a Bible, some literature to read. In this gospel, Jesus is going to say, if you're willing to confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father and all the angels in heaven. So let's stand. Let's pray. I encourage you, the rest of you not to run out. Be praying for the eternities that are at stake here. Lord, we look to you. We thank you, Lord. This passage, it's so rich and it's so deep, Lord. So broad, Lord. It's like the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of your love towards us. And Lord, we do pray for those here who maybe have never come, Lord, that today that would change. They would forget about church. They would forget about religious forms. And they would bring their emptiness and their hunger and their thirst to you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we pray for ourselves as your sons and daughters that, Lord, we're so easily sidetracked by so many other things that appeal to our carnal nature in this world and we can so easily get off track, Lord. Bring us back, Lord, to our first love, Lord Jesus. Let us remember, repent, and do the first works, Lord. Let your prescription be healthy for us. And Lord, again, draw those today who, uh, who have never come. Your word says you add to the church daily such as should be saved. We trust you to do that, Lord. It's more on your heart than it is on ours. And we look to you, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.